That Old Testament lesson. Joseph. Do you remember what happened? Do you remember what happened to Joseph? You know, going back to Sunday school, maybe thinking back through uh, um, those, those lessons. Um, and just to be clear, I'm not talking about Jesus' earthly dad. I'm talking about the Joseph of the Old Testament, one of, one of Jacob's sons. You, know, you might remember um, Jacob had 12 sons with, well, he had, he had 12 sons with two wives and uh, their two servants. Uh, it's complicated and icky. Uh, but sinful people are complicated and icky. 12 sons, uh, and his favorite was Joseph, because it's always good for a father to have a favorite, right? No. Um, but um, Joseph was the firstborn of his favorite wife, because if you're going to have more than one wife, one should probably be the favorite, because that's good for relationships, too. Complicated and icky and wrong. Um, you might remember that, that Jacob made it clear that Joseph was his favorite by giving him um, a technicolor dream coat. I think that's what it says in the text. Uh, actually, you know, Joseph and the amazing technicolor dream coat is a halfway decent uh, summary of, uh, of this story. So if you're more familiar uh, with that than you are with Genesis, uh, yes, roughly 35 through 50, um, you know, that'll give you a little bit of context. But he gave him this, this really beautiful coat and set him aside as the favorite. And Joseph's brothers were jealous. And uh, they were jealous and they hated Joseph. And there's a little bit more to the story, but uh, they hated Joseph so much that they plotted to murder him. That, that's, that's some pretty serious hatred. And they would have done it, too. Except uh, opportunity presented itself. And opportunity presented itself in the form of Ishmaelite traders. And if you think back through Genesis, who were the Ishmaelites? Um, Abraham had two sons early on, right? Ishmael and Isaac. It's their cousins. complicated and icky. And these people, they came along and the brothers are like, hey, there's an opportunity here. And they, 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 they sold their brother to their cousins. Um, and they bought Joseph. And I think, isn't this, isn't this what we call human trafficking today? Is there anything new under the sun? I'm just, you know, when sin gets involved, I mean, it, it, it gets, well, I've said it several times, complicated, icky, and wrong. But they sold him into slavery. And the Ishmaelites took him down to Egypt. And they sold him again. And in Egypt, Joseph, Joseph did pretty well. He was a hard worker. Um, at least he did as well as a slave could uh, until he was falsely accused of sexual assault. Um, that never happens anymore. We don't deal with those issues. 
Uh, and, uh, and then he was thrown into prison where he sat for years. And uh, through a series of amazing events, God raised Joseph from being a slave in prison to being second in command to what was probably the most powerful nation in the world at the time. He was second only, only to Pharaoh, only to the king. But he suffered for years after being sold by his brother, brothers, before he reached that, that pinnacle of power. Now, these are the brothers that we read about in our Old Testament lesson who conspire to lie to Joseph. Don't miss that. You know, they, they, came, they came to Joseph and, and they said, hey, dad said before he died. Did dad say before he died? If he did, we don't have any record of it. They are lying to Joseph. They are manipulating him. They, they are twisting his emotions in the moment in order to, you know, to save their own sorry hides. Because they were afraid that dad was the only thing standing between them and Joseph's vengeance. By the way, have you ever noticed how sometimes our fears and uncertainties reveal the brokenness and the sin that's within our own hearts? That we worry that somebody else is going to do that because we know that we would be tempted to do the same thing? And they're scared. They're scared because they know what's going on in their hearts. And so they lied to Joseph, saying, in essence, before he, dad, before he died, dad said, you have to forgive us. And they're manipulating him. They're twisting his emotions for their own self-preservation because they know beyond a shadow of a doubt that what they did was wrong. And maybe we can relate to that too. That we've been in that place where we know that what we did was wrong. And they don't deserve the forgiveness that they're asking for. They know everything that Joseph could do to them. And when Joseph weeps, they misunderstand. And they fall down before him and, and they say, Behold, we are your servants. And I don't understand why modern translations of the scriptures do this. They soften language so often. The word is not servant. It's behold, we are your slaves. And the circle's kind of come around, hasn't it? They sold Joseph into slavery, and now there they are, and they're like, we're your slaves. How little they know or understand their brother. How little they know and understand their God. Joseph forgave them. He forgave them, he comforted them, and he promised to provide for them and for their children. It's, it's, it's an amazing, 
image of, of forgiveness. This amazing example of truly, truly being done wrong. And yet living in God's grace and sharing that grace, sharing that grace with the people who did you wrong. This is amazing and powerful stuff. He, he acknowledges that what they did was not just wrong, it was evil. But he also believed and trusted that God was, God was able to use the evil that we experience in our lives to do good. And so he chooses mercy and he chooses forgiveness with his brother, trusting that God can use even the worst things that happen to us to his glory to bring good into this world, to bring life and salvation by sharing forgiveness. And now I think of our gospel lesson where Peter comes to Jesus and says, you know, hey, my brother sins against me. Um, how many times, you know, do I forgive him when he sins against me? Like, like seven, right? Seven's a good number. I wonder what Joseph would have said to that. We know what Jesus said, right? Becca, chase that chipmunk out. That's not what Jesus said. But there's a chipmunk in the door. I'm pretty sure the word chipmunk is not in the Bible anywhere. I'm a professional. We know what Jesus said. He says, I say to you, not seven times, but 70 times seven. And in case you're thinking, okay, well, 490 times, I can, I can keep track for 490. Um, <laughs> but watch out for number 491, because the hammer's going to fall. The numbers here are symbolic. You know, Bob was talking about all, all the different sevens. You know, sevens for creation. Seven is the work that God did. It's, seven is the Sabbath. It's the day of rest and reconciliation and being in God's presence. The number 10 is a number of completeness. It's, a, it's, it's you know, like lots. It's like lots and lots when you say, you know, whatever times 10. It, it's, it's the satisfactory amount. It's, it's, it's a good, good amount. And so what you literally have is all of God's goodness times all of God's goodness times lots and lots. That's how much forgiveness Jesus is talking about. In other words, lots of forgiveness. God is a God of forgiveness. Everybody knows John 3, 16, right? God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. John 3, 17, however, 
carries that idea a little bit further. When Jesus says, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. He didn't have to send his son into the world to condemn the world. You know why? Because the world was already condemned. God saw all the the ickiness. He, he, He saw all the complicated. He saw all the wrong. He saw all the evil. He knew the world was condemned in and of itself. So he sent his son not to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. You know, God's relationship with us, the right relationship we have with God, is all about forgiveness. Forgiveness when we are complicated, when we are icky, when we're wrong. And it's so easy for us to look out at the world and to judge it and to condemn. But God calls us, he calls you to look at your own heart. And when you look at your heart, when you look closely, what are you going to see there? Will you see self-righteousness? Jealousy? Anyone here ever experience hatred? Lies? Lust? How about idols? Are there any false gods in our hearts? Things that you hold on to, saying, this, this is what will bring good into my life. This is where I need to turn when there's trouble. We've got it all. It's all right, right, right in here. And when we know our sin, when we know our unworthiness, should we fear God any less than Joseph's brothers feared him? Wouldn't it be right to to fall before him begging for mercy that we don't deserve? But there's something else in our hearts too, isn't there? In baptism, isn't the cross of Christ planted in your heart? We've been talking a little bit about numbers here. Um, Anybody know how many sides the baptismal font has? Be careful. Because people can be tempted to say seven, and it isn't. It's eight. Because you have the seven days of creation, and someday God is going to raise us from the dead. And whoever has been baptized into Christ has been baptized into Christ's death. That means we are also baptized into his resurrection, which means that we can walk in a new life. We have been remade and the cross of Christ is planted in your heart and you live in that forgiveness every day. The father weeps tears of joys because Jesus' love and his word to you is forgiveness, forgiveness, forgiveness. And we receive it over and over again. 
And I don't know about you, I am well past seven times. I am way past 490 times. And God's word is still forgiveness because of Jesus. You know, Joseph's brothers came to him and, and, and he says, hey, hey, dad said you got to forgive us. It's a little bit different when we go to God. We go to our father in heaven and say, our brother Jesus died in our place. And he says that he carries our sin to the cross. He died in our place. So you need to forgive us because that's what he promised. And you know what he says? Your sins are forgiven. Live in that forgiveness. Live in that love. Let that marinate this week. Let, let, that, let that be in your mind and, and in your heart and, and think about and pray about how much you have been forgiven. Then carry that hope, that joy, that, that gratitude that you have, that you have been so amazingly, abundantly forgiven. And carry that to your children, to your parents, to your wife, to your husband, to your neighbor, to your pastor, to, to. To everyone, to everyone who sins against you. Friends, there are a lot of voices out there right now telling us about everything that's wrong in the world. And it's the voices out there, they're telling you about all the things that you do wrong, all the ways that you fall short. But there's only one voice out there. To speak forgiveness. And it's Jesus' voice. And he speaks it to you. And he speaks it through you. Be forgiven. Be forgiving. Amen.